If you're new here today, we have been taking uh, the summer to do a series called He Is. And the entire point of this series was to sort of spend a summer with Jesus. Anytime one of the New Testament authors, many of whom are disciples, stop in their writing and say he is referring to God in Jesus Christ, we want to take a look at that (coughs) because we want our perception of Jesus to be fully informed by who he really is, not just who we want him to be. And so we've been taking the summer to do this. We're about eight weeks in, and we have been all over the Bible. My hope is, uh, all over the New Testament, I should say, my hope is when we're done to be able to put this all in a nice little set for folks, and you can have this and take it in your car with you, uh, download it to your, to your uh, mobile device, and be able to, to rehash some of what we've done here. Today we're going to be in the book of 1 John. So it, it's a smaller book. Try to find Revelation, and don't go too far back. You'll get to 1 John. The writer of this book is the beloved disciple, John, uh, one of Jesus' closest companions, and we have not yet had time to survey who John says Jesus is. And I want to take a look at this today because it's an incredibly part of the story, uh, an incredible part of the story of who Jesus is. I've told people many times that I pride myself on the fact that I have only in my marriage in 10 years lost my temper with my wife four times. Now, you might say to yourself, uh, I've never lost my temper with my wife, to which I would say, you, sir, are a liar. Uh, (laughs) But I have prided myself on the fact that, that I have only raised my voice at her four times until recently. Now, Gina had done nothing wrong, and I have to start with that particular premise, okay? Because, because if you don't start with that premise, then you're going to get into the next fight. And no, I'm kidding, in your marriage. No. But, but I, I, I had an experience just a couple months back where I was having a terrible day. You ever had just a terrible day? Nothing was going right, uh, and I hadn't slept well the night before, and and things were were not falling into place, and all of my plans were not working, and and we had a birthday coming up for one of our kids, and that is always stress city. And I get in the kitchen, and all of a sudden, I am shirtless, throwing kitchen items this way and that, screaming like a lunatic. And then my wife, who just so happens to be sitting at the dining room table, catches my eye. And I decide to have my own festivist airing of grievances with her right at that moment. (laughs) Which, men, is never a good idea. And I remember yelling, and Gina, once again, had done nothing wrong, but sometimes when you are a raging idiot, you just say anything that makes you feel somewhat better. Well, I told Gina everything that I thought was wrong with her that day. And she very quietly and nicely walked upstairs without replying anything to me. And after I had cooled down and picked up all of the spoons that I had thrown on the floor to show how manly I was, I thought, I better go make this right. So I went upstairs, and I, and I looked at Gina, and I said, I am so sorry. I am having the worst day, and I was completely wrong to talk to you like that. And she looked at me, and she said this, okay. (laughs) That's it? She said, okay. I said, do you forgive me? Yeah, I forgive you. 
And that was it. I went up. I confessed my sin. My wife forgave me. And it was over. <sighs> it felt great to be forgiven. I, I, I had done all the wrong. I had made all the mistakes. I had lost my Christianity for three and a half minutes. And my wife just forgave me, did not hold it against me. We went on with our day, finished our shopping, and threw a party. And I never heard about it again. It was awesome. And I, I am amazed at, at, at who my wife is, and she's going to be so embarrassed that I shared this story, but whatever. <laughs> that she would just do this and, and forgive me full and clear. And, and, and as I was preparing for my sermon this week, I heard the Lord say pretty clearly, this is what I do every day with you. And I, I thought the love of Christ displayed my wife in that moment of forgiveness, even though I had offended her heart, is what God does for me every single day. And it's what he does for you. And 1 John chapter 1 is going to tell us that if we can live in that balance with God, there's going to be some great, great results. Let's read 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 and following and see what he has to tell us about who Jesus is and what he does for us. 1 John chapter 1, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version this morning. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, him being Jesus, John being one who walked with Jesus, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Catch this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Here's my, one of the best verses in the Bible. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then just, just to get one last dig in at, at, at us fallen humans, verse 10. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. Two he is statements for us here in the book of John. One seemingly that, that reflects God the Father. And one seemingly that reflects God the Son. But, but we know that, that from, the, from the New Testament and all the things that we've learned this year through the I Am series and the, the He Is series, that Jesus and the Father are one. In fact, this says God is light. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Uh, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We're the perfect representation of one another. So by proxy, if God the Father is light, God the Son is light. 
and in the same reflexive way, if Jesus is able to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that is a perfect representation of what God the Father is doing in our lives as well. So we're going to talk about both of these today and talk about God in a big sense, recognizing that one of them is specific about the Father, one of them is specific about the Son, but both of them inform each one. Now, this is an interesting passage because if you read it on the face of things, it can feel a little bit like a contradiction. It feels like, we're, like maybe John's speaking out of both sides of his mouth, and this is what I mean by that. What I mean by that is, at first he says, listen, if you are truly in fellowship with God and other Christians, you are walking in the light, as God is in the light. And you're like, all right, I can get with that. All right, I got you, John. If I'm, if I'm in fellowship with God, I, I'm walking in the light. And then he turns around like one verse later and says, oh, by the way, if you say you're not a sinner, you're a liar. How can you be walking in the light and at the same time be a sinner? It seems like a contradiction. We're going to have to solve this as we look at it today. But what we also see here is every time the he is statement is made, it has a reflection upon who we are and how we're supposed to act, how we're supposed to live, what we're supposed to admit, what we're supposed to do. And so we have two he is statements that inform us what we're to do with who Christ is. So let's look at, at who Christ is today in these two he is statements that he is light and he is faithful and just to forgive us. But let's also look at what that requires of us because of who he is. The first thing we see is that he is light. There is no darkness in him at all. So if we claim to be of God, with God, to know God, we better like the light. If God is light, we better like the light. Now, what does John mean by God is light? That means that in him there is no darkness at all. That's what he says. What we're referring to here is a righteousness, a purity, a rightness, a, a, a just God. That, that all things that we ascribe beauty and, and rightness and good character and ethical and moral, that is who God is. God is perfectly moral, perfectly ethical, perfectly pure, no darkness in him, all of his judgments are right, all of his judgments are true. And we, as Christians, are supposed to walk in that light. Our moral condition should be informed by the character of the God that we proclaim and the God that we say that we serve. Therefore, for John, if God is light and he is in the light and in him there is no darkness at all, we must also not be people who have darkness in us. We should also be walking in the light. Now, John does a really interesting thing here. The really interesting thing that John does here is use the symbol of light as a, as a way of communicating purity and rightness. That was not the way light was used in the first century world when this was written. When you talked about being in the light in a religious sense in the first century world, first century AD, what you meant was is that you were enlightened, that you had knowledge of God, that you had seen things in a way that you had never seen them before about God, and now that you have a greater knowledge of God, you are more like God. But how many of you know that just to have knowledge about something doesn't mean that you're actually engaging in something? I read books all the time about the Civil War. I consider myself a bit of a Civil War aficionado. 
But I have never fought in the Civil War, thank God. Therefore, I have no firsthand knowledge of what it really meant to be in that war. That, that, that's what it's like when we say that we have knowledge about God and that makes us enlightened. Now, they lived in an age where that was the big deal. If I know about God, then I know the truth. And if I know the truth, I'm good with God. John is saying clearly, yes, if you know God and you know the truth, there is going to be something that happens to your morality as a result. I had a friend a while back, it was, it was interesting to me, they had the little keychain that said Planet Fitness, you know, the one that you scan when you go into the gym. Now, I've been going to Planet Fitness almost since it opened, and, and I looked at her and I said, hey, I didn't know you went to Planet Fitness. And she looked at me with a wry smile and says, well, I'm a member, not an attender. <laughs> I said, I know some church people like that. But anyhow, uh, I, I thought that was interesting because really, you don't really get the benefit of your gym membership unless you go, right? You, you don't get any benefit. Just, just having the card and getting the free t-shirt does not really make you a participant in that gym. In the same way... If you know the one true God who came to deal with sin and death and impurity, if you truly know the God that we call Yahweh, his son Jesus Christ and that, their Holy Spirit, if you know that God, you will desire to walk in the purity and light that is God's character. You don't just say you know him, it changes who you are. It changes your actions that is, that is the difference here. So you might say, okay, well, why is light necessary? Well, well, John explains why light is necessary. And the first way he explains it in verse 6 is this. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not, do not practice the truth. And this is really what's at stake here. Because to be in a place where we're right with God, we certainly want to know that we know the truth about the metaphysical world and, and who God is and why he has created and what he has done. And John's saying, if you just claim to be enlightened and have knowledge about God, but it doesn't change your moral character, the fabric of who you are, you're not really in fellowship with God. That's what he's implying here. You're not in fellowship with God if you're not trying to walk in his light and his righteousness and his purity. Evidence of your relationship to God is your pursuit of light. That's how you know that, that, that you know God. It's one of the ways that we know that we're in fellowship with God, that we're pursuing his light and his righteousness rather than what we just talked about a few minutes ago, our own will, pursuing our own story, pursuing our own storyline. We submit our storyline to God's storyline. It's like a, it's, uh, let, let's think about a, a second grader who, who looks at you and, and the little girl look, looks at dad and says, I'm dating somebody at school. And you're like, oh, that's cute. Who are you dating and where's my shotgun, you know? But wh who are you dating? Well, I'm dating Spencer. Oh, you're dating Spencer. That's wonderful. You're dating Spencer. So do you and Spencer sit together at lunch? No. Do, do you write love notes back and forth? No. Do you play together on the playground? No, not really. So what has changed because you're dating? Well, we're dating. Nothing's going on. Their lives haven't changed at all. There's no evidence of a relationship. 
in the same way, if our lives are not changing in, ever, in an ever-changing pursuit of being more in the right and more pure and more righteous because of who God is, we really don't have a relationship with him. Relationship changes you. Relationship calls something out of you. It makes you different. You can't become a dog owner and not let the dog out and feed it. That, that, that wouldn't make any sense if, if I looked at you and said, oh, you got a dog. How's your life changed? It hasn't. Well, do you let the dog out? No. Do you feed the dog? Am I supposed to? In the same way that if you're a dog owner, you've got to feed the dog and, and, and potty train the dog and let the dog out and, and like come home to, to make sure that there's not a mess in your house, your life changes, Right? And, and far be it for me, and, and every, every analogy breaks down, I'm not comparing your relationship with God in this way, but I'm just saying relationship changes you. And what John is arguing for is if you're in a relationship with the one true God who is light, you will be in constant pursuit of that light. Isn't that cool? It's evidence of your relationship with God, that you'll be walking towards ever-increasing light. But there's more at stake as to why light is necessary. Look at verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Interesting. So not only does our pursuit of righteousness and purity and right behavior, not only does that have to do with who we are in relationship to God, it has to do with who we are in relationship to one another. This is really neat. The fact that we are a group of people here today in this body right now pursuing light together, pursuing righteousness and rightness and purity together. And what often happens is if somebody as part of our fellowship decides that they're not going to pursue light anymore, or, or if they are happy and content in darkness, it usually begins to break down the fellowship. You know, I, I, I've seen this dozens and dozens of time, uh, times in, in, in my time as a pastor, but even as a Christian, that, that when somebody just decides, you know, I'm not going to pursue light anymore, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and I'm content to do that. It begins to break down the fellowship because we are the ones pursuing the light together. We're the ones pursuing the righteousness and the purity and the obedience to God that Jesus demonstrated in the garden. Not my will, but yours. I'm after your heart, God, not after my wants and desires. So much so that in chapter 2, and and you can look over this if you have your Bibles with you, it says in verse 15 of chapter 2 of 1 John, don't love the world or the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world, and the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. You say, Pastor Matt, you didn't put it on the screen. Well, I didn't plan on reading it, so sorry. You know, this idea that we are walking towards God's will is what pulls our fellowship together, folks. It's what makes us who we are as Christians, that we're pursuing the righteousness of Christ with one another. So much so that we really encourage folks to get involved in life groups. It's part of what we believe is important at Victory Life, that you live out the story with other Christians, that you are known by others and you know others. So much so that your faults and your wrongs and and anything that might be going on in your life that isn't light could actually be seen and remedied because of your fellowship with one another. 
so much so that you might even get in the life group and, and, and be part of that for six months to a year and be with people. And somebody might look at you one day and says, you know, you don't talk very respectfully to your spouse. Or, you know what I've been noticing, brother, you sort of make mountains out of a molehill. Or, you've got to get your anger under control, pal. You say, nobody better ever say any of that to me. Well, then you're content to live in your darkness. That's why John says, listen, if we're walking in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We're a group of people walking towards the purity of God together. It's evidence of a true conversion that we are walking towards God. Here's the beautiful thing, and it's the next part. This means that the blood of Jesus is cleansing us. When we walk in the light, because of our relationship with God, when we walk in the light because of our relationship with one another, the blood of Jesus is continually cleansing us. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, I know that there's going to be somebody when I get off the platform today who looks at me and goes, Pastor Matt, don't call us sinners. We are no longer sinners. We have been redeemed by Jesus. And I agree. I agree. But what this says is, if we say we have no sin, like today, like right now, we're deceiving ourselves. We got things that are not yet redeemed, that are not yet in the light, that are not yet taken care of. And that's problematic for the Christian person. Now, if you want further proof of this, look down at chapter 2, verse 1. It says this. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So if you're a Christian walking in the light and you sin, guess what? Jesus is there to advocate for you. And as we learn in verse 9, forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And this is where this whole thing comes together. How is it that I can walk in the light but still be a sinner? How is it that I can affirm that I've had a true conversion, I'm really a person who follows God, but I admit that I'm a sinner? How can those things not cancel each other out? Well, there's two key words that I want you to see from the passage, and the first word is this. If we say we have fellowship with him, verse 6, and we walk in darkness. The word walk is important. The second word that's incredibly important for this is in verse 9, if we confess our sins. You see, the way these two concepts come together is this. Everybody who is a Christian is still going to have things that they need to work on to come into ever-increasing light. That's admitting we have sin. The question is, what are we walking in right now? Are we walking in light or are we walking in darkness? Or maybe to put a finer point on it, where are you walking right now? Are you walking towards the light of Christ where he gets to impose his will in your life? Or are you walking away from Christ saying, I am my own subject and I will take care of my will. And even though this might look dark, just ignore it, God. Where are you walking? And then the idea here that's incredibly important from 1 John 1, 9 that can often be forgotten when we thank, say thank you, Lord, for forgiving us and cleansing us. It says, if we confess our sins. Walking 
requires admitting. That's how these two concepts come together. Walking in the light means admitting there's a possibility of darkness in my life. That allows you to walk into the light, admitting that there could be something back here that isn't quite right. Not looking at the darkness and saying, God, ignore that, it's just a shadow, not darkness. Or, or, or to look at your, your, your fellow Christians and say, don't worry, me and God have a special arrangement. And he has said that I can leave that room of my life completely dark. Or, 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 or to, to, to look at yourself and say, God says he loves me just the way I am, and therefore I shall never change. See, John is arguing against that in verses 8, verses 9, and verses 10. He's saying, just admit the possibility that you ain't perfect yet. That will help you to walk in the light of Christ. It's a powerful message, and it's one that should not be missed. It's like singing all of the chorus of a song but leaving out the last three notes. If we as Christians are not moving into the light, admitting the possibility that there's still things that God is working on in our life, allowing him to shine his light in our life, we're missing the impact that we can have in this world. One of the most moral, ethical people I have ever known in my life is my father. Uh, My dad had standards that that most parents and most people did not. And it did not flow out of his desire for his kids to look good for his church. It flowed out of the idea that he was going to do what God had said in his word. And he had these standards and these ways that we would live, which had nothing to do with how the world perceived us, had everything to do with being right with God. And I remember so many times as a teenager thinking, Dad, you have got to get with the times. Dad, you have got to come into the 20th century and, and let alone the 21st. Why is this a big deal? Why is, why is that considered wrong? Why, why are you uh, 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 not exercising your freedom in Christ where you could and not allowing us as your children to exercise certain freedoms that we think we should have? And I remember thinking this as a teenager because I was a teenager. And it gets to the heart of the problem that we have when you talk about sin and darkness within a church. And the question is, is this just all moralism? Are we just here in church because we're trying to be better people? Is that all there is? Because there's lots of religions that's just about becoming a better person by refraining from the, 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 the wrong and doing the right. Is that all that this is? And then I think to my dad, I think about the impact that he had in this world. And if he had not been one who pursued the light and who had admitted when he had sinned and confessed it and repented and changed and led us to be in the light as Christ is in the light, if he had not been sold out to this principle, the impact that he would have had on this world would have been nil. It's not about moralism. It's not about just doing right so we can become Pharisees. Sin submarines the lasting impact that we have for God's kingdom. And I think now as an adult about the thousands upon thousands of lives that my father's life touched and think, thank God that he always wanted to walk in the light and he was never soft on sin. 
because he would not have been able to have an impact in this world if he was not in the light and he was not pursuing righteousness and purity. Sin is at the heart of the human condition. It is the problem that we face, and it's the very problem that Jesus came to begin to eradicate in our lives so that we could have the impact that God designed us to have when he created us. Otherwise, sin is submarining God's efforts to impact the world positively through his people. We are constantly cleaning up messes instead of building his kingdom. That's why we try to eradicate sin, not only because we've come into a relationship with God and we want to honor him and serve him because of how good he is, but we don't want sin to put us in a place where we can't have the effect for God that we were designed to have. God has a life and a future for us, and that's why he needed to send his son to offer forgiveness and cleansing and redemption so that we could not be defined by our past, but that we would be defined by our future. That's why it's so important that verse 9 says, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus is giving us a way forward out of the mud and the drudgery that we have been in. He cleanses us and forgives us and gets rid of the guilt in our lives so that we can be defined by our future rather than our past. That's who Jesus is. We don't battle sin so that we can become Pharisees and look into each other's lives and try to get specks out of one another's eyes while ignoring the plank in our own. We battle sin and we walk in the light and we confess our sins and, and we ask God to forgive us because we want to move free and clear into the next stage of the most important relationship in our lives, and that's the relationship that we have with God. And this is the beauty of who Jesus is. It's what we celebrated in communion today. He is faithful to forgive our sins faithful. He, he doesn't stop forgiving us. He is in a mode where even though we have erred and, and erred stupidly and wrongly, he just says, I forgive you. I died for that sin. You've confessed it. You're forgiven. That's part of the broken curse of sin in our lives. Not that we'll never be tempted again, but that the Lord Jesus is not going to let Satan undermine our future by reminding us constantly about our past. That's the beauty of who Christ is. He forgives you, and that's it. You go on with your life. You first John 1, 9 it. Lord, forgive me. I'm so sorry. I don't know why I failed that way again. Please let, don't, don't take your spirit from me. Just, just help me to get back where I need to be. And God looks at you and says, okay. That's why we sing, grace greater than our past, strong, deeper than our sin, stronger than our shame, all of that. The, the idea that, that his grace and his love and his forgiveness is free. And he continues to pour it into our lives because guess what? We're still going to mess up. We're going to walk towards the light and we're going to go, oh no, that's darkness. God forgive me. And he's faithful to go, you're forgiven. Let's move on to what's next. And the beautiful thing is, he's not just faithful to forgive, he's faithful to cleanse. Just think about this for just a moment. How many times have you not wanted to confess a sin in your life and then tried and go to clean up the mess without ever confessing it? 
you go and you just try to make things right without ever admitting that you, the possibility that you could be wrong. Here's the power that God has in your life. When you confess your sin and go, God, I have erred, all of a sudden God has the potential to clean up your mess. Because I want to tell you, I try to clean up my own messes in life, and I just make a bigger mess. But when Jesus forgives me, he begins to clean up my life where I cannot. And he begins to give me a hope and a future that I could not even have dreamed for myself. Were you listening during communion today? He can cleanse you by his blood. And he can make your future so much greater than your past. That's why this is one of the most powerful verses in Scripture. Because it reminds us that God is so faithful to bring us out of the darkness and into his light and to begin to clean up our lives so that we can have maximum impact for him in our future. Telling the story of who Jesus is without telling the story of human sin is futile. But telling the story about who Jesus is in light of what he did for human sin on the cross is the most freeing message in the history of humanity. You are free today from your past. You are free today from your sin. God has the opportunity to take all of the yuck of the past and make it the bright future that he has intended for you. If you will walk and if you will confess and be honest and true before him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son today. We thank you for his grace that does not let us go. Lord, we thank you that you have given us the opportunity in our lives to admit when we have been wrong. And Lord, you give us the opportunity in an instant for rightness to come back in. Thank you for not holding our sins over our head or against us. Thank you for bringing us into the light as you are in the light. And I pray, Lord, today if there's anybody in this place that recognizes that they have been walking in darkness, not walking in fellowship, but doing their own thing, pursuing their own will, God, I pray today that they would recognize that if they just confess, there is forgiveness. And if they confess, they can trust that you'll not only forgive them, but you'll cleanse them and begin to clean up the places where they have erred. If today you're in this place and you'd say, Pastor Matt, I, I recognize some things going on in my life that have been darkness and I want to come back in to full fellowship with God with my fellow Christians I don't want anything to not reflect Christ's impact on my life and what he's done for me I don't want anything to stand as a barrier today I want his blood to cover every barrier if that's you today and my eyes are closed with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just raise a hand to heaven? Say, God, I realize that there's been darkness. I realize there's been places that I have walked that have not been of you. 
Just raise that hand towards heaven. And you just speak that area of your life to him right in this moment. Confess it to him. Confess it to him right now. Lord, we confess our sin today. Because we love you. Because we want to walk in your light. We confess it today, Lord. Because we want what you have for our future. Lord Jesus, I pray you would forgive us. I pray that we would not dwell in guilt and in shame, but I pray by the confession that we're making today, you'd make us free from the sin that has bound us. And God, I ask that you would cleanse us. Lord, by confessing this today, it does not mean that there's not some sort of mess in the path that we have walked. Lord, we pray that you would cleanse us today from any aspect of unrighteousness that has been in our lives, attitudes, actions, inactions. Cleanse us, Lord, today and begin to make right what we have made wrong. Lord, we do this today recognizing that you have a bright hope and a future for us. And we thank you right now at the end of the service as we did at the beginning that you have cleansed us and made us whole. We ask these things today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Would you stand with us? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence in this place today. We thank you for the good things that you're doing in our midst. I pray this week, Lord, if you shine the light on any part of our lives, that we would first John 1, 9 it and get right with you in a hurry. Lord, because you have things that you want to do in and through your people. We ask now that you would dismiss us with your blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. God bless you.